Ladies and gentlemen, I can only congratulate you for doing such an awesome job of staying alive for the last year and making it through this. It's been an unbelievable ride, and now the evil has been banished to Florida, where so much evil persists. And we, the living, there we go, stop. Ah, we made it. I told you I'd drink from this glass when it happened, and I'm going to. My friend Adam gave it to me, Amy Miller's boyfriend. Was at a podcast a couple years ago here in Los Angeles? Yeah, that's Gerald. Speaking of villains, that's Gerald Ford, and I think that's Kissinger on there, isn't it? Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> we made it. He's gone. We have a black woman president with parents from the Caribbean and India. We have a nice Irish guy who quotes Seamus Haney and poetry and stuff. I couldn't be more thrilled and excited. I've felt this way before, obviously. When I was a kid, uh, Nixon left. Uh, then, of course, uh, when Reagan um, was left, and then sadly we got Herbert Walker. But when Herbert Walker was booted out by Clinton, um, I felt much the same as I do now. And, of course, when Reagan um, swirled off into the stars, I... Uh, I was as happy as a kid on Christmas morning. Ah, ah. There's a lot of talk about unity, and I'm all for unity. As you know, I always discuss being a grown-up, and being a grown-up means that sometimes you have to work with people that you disagree with. Um, but what uh, being a grown-up doesn't mean, and what unity doesn't mean, is um, having to deal with Nazis and take their shit and agree with them and abet them and aid them. Some of them are in your family. You know them. Some of them you work with. Um, some of them are your fathers or your sisters or your nieces or your uncles or whatever. And you've had to listen to them every goddamn Christmas and Thanksgiving talk the same stupid shit over and over again. And, well, I've come to the decision that I don't need any of those people in my life anymore. Do I acknowledge they exist? Yes. Do I acknowledge a lot of them are in pain? Yes, of course I do. I'm a very sensitive human being. I'm so sensitive because, as Goldie Hawn said in First Wives Club, I'm a performer. I have all the feelings. Um <laughs> That uh, I can understand the, the uh, dichotomy and the contradiction within my own behavior. In so much as, one, on, the, on one hand, I understand uh, um, why people are Nazis. Uh, the question remains, of course, why aren't there more Nazis? Um, but on the other hand, uh, I don't uh, make no deals with no cops, as they say, as Marlon Brando says in The Wild One. And I don't think you have to. If people are going to shoot and loot and um, threatened to hang the vice president and shoot the speaker of the house. And those people own beauty parlors in Beverly Hills and are cops from Houston and are doctors from the East Coast and are sons of judges from New York. I don't have to understand you. Um, you're psycho and you're kind of vile and you need to be uh, looked after. That's my feeling on that one. Sorry if that makes me super harsh. Um, I'm not a big person for locking everyone up because I don't think a prison is that great. But a lot of white people could be locked up that aren't locked up. Let's put it that way. The system sort of skews towards someone asked me tonight. In fact, it was Yasmin before the show started. She's in Australia and um, she's on the comm tonight. Uh, what I thought would happen. And I said, well, it's very difficult to punish white men because uh, they just refuse to be punished. One, uh, I think they see the world as sort of their punishment room where they get to punish everyone else. Um, I know that um, the aggrieved entitlement and the victimization card that they've been playing for four years is pretty much spun out with the rest of us. So let's get to the good parts. Uh, and never mind uh, him, as it were. 
I promised a disco funk dance party, and by God, God, the thing is I have to DJ too, and you're talking to, um, I'm over 60, so this is like doing a show with your grandfather here. If we get through this whole thing and I don't knock everything over and create an electrical fire here in the Porpoise of Fruititude, we'll be bloody, bloody lucky there. What is that? Oh, you can see the speaker here, there. Right? You would like to see I got a jawbone. My, Jennifer got me. Um, I'd rather you saw the Asian lamps and stuff like that. Uh, here's the song I thought of immediately yesterday upon waking up. Um, Jennifer got up early just to watch the helicopter leave. And I was like, oh, my God. And she's like, I just want to make sure he leaves. <laughs> I got up a couple hours later. So I missed Uday and um, Kersey and... Uh, um, and Bumpstock Barbie, I miss them crying, and I wished I'd seen it. I would have done anything. Um, Ivanka's tears are like um, rich Greek ambrosia to me that the gods drank in Olympus. I, I hoist any tears from the Trump family except Mary. I hoist their tears like this and look into them in the sky, a crystal clear prism giving me vision to another world where their emotions are conflicted and uh, chaotic, where they're upset and unsure, where there's uncertainty paving every avenue that they stare down, where every single map to them looks like uh, uh, Leonardo's circulatory system drawings, the way we've all felt for the last four years. As Harvey Keitel says to Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise, your miseries are my goddamn mission in life. They cannot suffer enough, in my opinion. If that makes me a bad person, say la vie! As Robbie, uh, what's his name, once said, say la vie! Say la vie! And this was the song I thought of immediately. That was a very good toast. Thank you. I can see clearly It's all damage control at this point. We've I've have PTSD, PSTD, PT. I have both PTSD and PSTD, and uh, I have PSDT, and uh, I have DDT as well because I swallowed a lot of uh, pelican eggs in the seventies. Whoa! When the volume jumps and it, you don't think you did anything, that's how you know you're over sixty. In case in case you were wondering how you can tell when you're getting older, it's a. Uh, Machines take on a life of their own where they're errant and they do what they will and they have to be punished. Here, I'll turn down on that one maybe. Right? Uh, it's a matter of dealing with it every day. You can't spend four years being traumatized uh, by uh, someone who abuses you. And make no mistake, that's what that was. The Republican Party was being trapped in a room with an abusive partner for four years. Um, you, you lied to me. I didn't lie. Uh, and then they tell you something else. And then you just said that. No, I didn't say it. Um, you're, you said you're going to help me. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, and, it go, and on and on it goes. And uh, as I've said to people before, you don't have to love your parents. That's not a prerequisite of being a, a, a human being. It's nice if you do, and it's nice if they love you. It's really nice. But uh, I had parents. And, um, you know, kind of like with what's going on now. I love my parents. Uh, I think about them from time to time. And um, I couldn't be happier that they're dead. That was supposed to be funny. But you go wherever you want to go. I know a lot of people really like their parents and stuff. And I feel sorry for you. I mean, I get it. Uh, <laughs> it's some kind of outmoded shit that you're hooked onto. I, I understand. Uh, those of us who are a little more advanced uh, understand that uh, our, our parents were trying to do nothing but destroy us and that 
<laughs> their demise led to my liberation. What can I tell you? Mm. I do have feelings, by the way. Um, all, I, as I said, I have all of them. Let's talk about the wardrobes yesterday. First of all, the excitement of having Kamala Harris. Michelle Obama was dressed as what? A Jedi Knight from like one of the, the, the you know, sequels. She had that Mandalorian kind of thing going on. The giant um, gold belt buckle that was clearly controlling everyone's brain there. I kept expecting her to pull a lightsaber out of those like wild bell-bottom pants that she was wearing. And burgundy. I love it. Um, there was a lot of, uh, uh, let's be honest, kind of church colors going on yesterday. We had yellow. We had purple. We had burgundy. We had green. Um, uh, Nancy wore that turquoise uh, coat. Uh, and then people were saying, oh, purple's the color of, um, of, you know, of unity, of coming together. No, it's not. Um, Kamala wore purple because Shirley Chisholm used purple in her campaign in 72 when she ran for president, the, uh, a very prominent black woman who, and the first black woman in Congress, uh, ran for president when I was a kid in 1972, and purple was her campaign color. It was also one of the colors the suffragettes wore. And the suffragettes were tortured and beaten by men and thrown in prison. Why? Because um, they wanted to vote. So, uh, that whole thing about how it's a color of atonement. You know who calls for atonement the hardest whenever the shit hits the fan? White men. Aggrieved white men who've been abusing you are the ones who are, come on, let's all pull together now. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't remember you getting your punishment yet. The rest of us did all through the summer. All through the last four years, we've been punished. Isn't it time for Rand Paul and Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz to feel shitty for a couple of weeks? It wouldn't take any skin off uh, the Almighty's ass to do that. I mean, you know, I'm not calling for like a lightning strike or anything. Uh, Jill Biden is so hot and that turquoise outfit is so great. Um, sometimes she dresses so Philly and you, you expect her to be standing on the corner um, smoking a cigarette in the back of the White House like Obama used to do. Um, Gretchen Whitmer of uh, Michigan wasn't there yesterday, but I don't know if you've ever caught her style, but she has a collection of leather jackets that are like a Coke bench from North Beach Leathers in the 80s. She's got like Eddie Murphy and Raw jackets. I mean, I don't know where Gretchen Whitmer's shopping, but she's shopping at I can't believe they still sell this shit at a store in this decade. Um, and I always say like with Gretchen Whitmer, you could go like, look, I got a bottle of Crown Royal in the car and she'd be like, let's go. Um, let's go smoke a blunt, you know, out in Lansing. I don't know if you've ever been to Lansing, Michigan, where the capital of it is, but wowzers, McTavish. Uh, and uh, I, we were playing there a couple years ago and um, a woman said to us, well, at one point of the year, you know, you just stop wearing clothes and you just start wearing camo. And I was like, I'm never, ever moving here. First of all, an urban environment is not conducive to camo. Um, you, you're not hidden in camo in an urban environment. If you dressed like, oh, I don't know, if you're in Los Angeles, if you dress like a dead body or a tent, then you might be able to blend in with the background. If you dress like a taco truck, then you might be able to, like just an enormous menu of shrimp going by, then you could blend in. Uh, anytime men wear baseball hats or hunting hats, I'm scared. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I know I've talked about it a lot in my stand-up over the years, but there's nothing more microaggressive than a baseball cap. To me, it means sexual assault. You might as well wear a t-shirt that says, I have roofies, because that's what you're screaming to the world. You're, the baseball cap is saying no means yes, and yes means everything. Um, uh, 
the full Monty. It's, I, I never understand why guys do it. I mean, I do understand why guys do it because guys walk around like they're in their living room. The whole world is their living room. They're going to wear shorts everywhere. They're going to wear socks with sandals. They're going to wear baseball caps. They're going to wear fanny packs. They're going to wear weird camo vests and carry enormous firearms in the public square and weird mirrored shades and, and walk around like this. <laughs> the thing that destroys me about men is that when men are misbehaving, they get this weird, horrible, below-the-equator thrill that registers on their face in a terrible way. Anytime I see a man with his mask down over his nose or his mask down on his chin or not wearing a mask at all and we're in a public space together, they're always like, right? Right? <laughs> I'm doing it! I'm doing it! And it's like, what happened to you? That what, we, Was your pee-pee enclosed into a mollusk at some point and squeezed beyond all recognition? Why do you need that kind of horrible attention? Why do you behave that way? Um, but then again, men yell at women from cars, and that's never really stopped. I guarantee you in ancient Egypt, they're like, Nefertiti, nice ass. Um, <laughs> Vice President Harris wore a black designer named Christopher John Rogers, the bluest, a bluish shade of purple. She was also sworn in um, on a really super sexy Bible, uh, Ella Emhoff. Let's talk about Ella Emhoff for a minute there. Um, Ella Emhoff uh, is uh, Doug Emhoff's um, daughter, and she was wearing this fabulous, fabulous, what do they call it? Um, a Miu Miu Shetland Pied de Poule coat adorned with gold at the shoulders. And that was what was driving everyone mad, I think, was that it had all that um, detail work on it. I also really loved the weird Mennonite collar that came out from underneath it with this, this, this kind of, she was almost had a religious weirdo haircut and the round glasses are so aggressively guess if I'm a lesbian or guess if I'm just studious. And, um, I thought she looked fabulous. Uh, Michelle Obama was wearing the, the Washington post called it maximalist, uh, Sergio Hudson. First of all, Michelle's taller than Barack. Now, how did that happen? When did he shrink? I mean, Laura Bush looked like she always does. Like she's the fifth grade teacher who's desperate for a drink. And, uh, and George was his usual self. George is over fidgety looking around during the unknown soldier part. When, I don't know if you saw the part when Amy Coney Barrett walked by him. He, he looked at her ass. George Bush went, dude, could you for a minute? Could you please? Uh, Hillary had that. Uh, oh, Amy Klobuchar wore the yellow uh, overcoat, which I really love with the... Um, the burgundy shirt that was supposed to be like Michigan's colors and whatever. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, it was so cold in Washington yesterday. People were falling over with cold. She wore bare legs and a turquoise coat. That's how badass she is. Um, Amanda Gorman was wearing Prada and Oprah had given her her jewelry and there was a Prada red band and that Prada, that, ye that canary yellow Prada coat, the color that uh, is very difficult to pull off if you don't look like, um, like uh, Amanda Gorman, and also Amanda Gorman's from here in Los Angeles. She's a wunderkind here already. We're going to talk about her later a lot. Janet Yellen, who's going to be the secretary, uh, who's been the, uh, you know, she was at the uh, Reserve, Federal Reserve Bank. She wore a parka with the hood pulled up and a blanket over her, like she was going to camp all night. That was just fantastic. Hillary wore that purple number that I loved and couldn't find Bill at all. I don't know if you saw Bill. Bill did a lap of honor at the beginning and just was fist bumping. Hey, what's up? How you going, dog? It's good to see you again. Hey, remember when we went over the thing? You know, my Uncle Dew used to tell me, he'd say, what? And he was doing selfies? He was doing selfies. We're not even supposed to be near each other. And Bill Clinton is like the biggest schmooze monkey that ever lived. Uh, Mina Harris, who's uh, 
Kamala's niece wore that green affair with that like, giant green coat over it and the silver boots and her kids. How cute are her kids? The dad was dragging one of them around and the other one Kamala walked down the street with and she started bouncing up and down. That was just beautiful. So let's stop for a minute and talk about what that means. Um, what we saw was affection. We saw uh, Joe and Jill snug on each other. We saw uh, Cam Cam and uh, Dougie. Yeah, she calls him Dougie. I love that. We were watching an interview and he goes, well, I first met her. Because Doug kind of talks like this when I first met her. And she goes, oh, Dougie. And I was like, oh, no, you're, next it's going to be Fufu and Bing Bing. You know what I mean? We're going to get to the baby names. And that's a very, very treacherous point. You really want to stop yourself before you get to the baby names because uh, that's, when, uh, that's when the trouble starts. Because if the public hears you call each other what you call each other, then you, I think you're in decided trouble at that point. We ask people on stage all the time in the improv show, what do you really call that, each other? And sometimes they'll tell you. And sometimes, they'll, sometimes you're in the Midwest and they'll be like, we call each other babe. And you're like, oh, God. What, what happened to Pogi Bear, you know? What, what happened to Skip Nipper and, and Lattice Shrimp and all the fun? No one calls each other Chip Chip or Monk Monk or whatever? Really? You just call each other Babe? What are, what are you going to... Let's go get a Harvey Wallbanger. Thank you. I'll be doing references for myself the rest of the night. Apparently, the show's never going to start. <laughs> I haven't pulled the ripcord. I'm still going to fight for you guys. I really am. I'm trying to do too many things at once here, and that's what's making me awesome. Some people are better when they multitask. I'm better if I just sit and stare. Um, Biden redecorated his office, too. He took down the portrait of Andrew Jackson. Um, Andrew Jackson, the Indians called Sharp Knife and um, many other names because he was a genocidal maniac against American Indians. This is the president who said, I only have two regrets, that I didn't hang Henry Clay and shoot John C. Calhoun. So... Um, that's why he was a hero to 45, because um, the difference was Andrew Jackson was personally brave and good looking and more intelligent than him. Um, he also had been a teenage hostage during the Revolutionary War, Andrew Jackson. He was the last, in fact, president that was a veteran of the Revolutionary War when he was elected well into the 19th century. And um, he hated the British for the rest of his life. However, that didn't really fit with American politics, because after the War of 1812, with the Napoleonic Wars, as we know them in Europe, uh, we were allies with the British again, except Andrew Jackson wouldn't do that. So you can see why uh, 45 would like him, because he was intractable, prone to violence. The difference was, as I said, he had been in many duels. He'd killed some guys, and um, he had carried a, a bullet in his hip, was it, the rest of his life? So they took his bloody portrait down, that unbelievable slave driver, and they put up um, a bust of Cesar Chavez that they asked for. They brought back the Martin Luther King bust that Obama had behind the desk and put it on another wall. Um, they really sexed the place up. And then they put picture of Thomas Jefferson and Hamilton uh, on one side next to FDR because they were rivals who disagreed with each other, you see. And then below Cesar Chavez is all the pictures of his family and stuff. Uh, they also, and this is probably the most significant um, redecorating part that happened, was 45 had a button on his desk that said Diet Coke. And he would press the button, Diet Coke. And a butler would come in with a silver tray with a glass of Diet Coke. Um, I've hate them for a thousand reasons, but that might be the second reason after the COVID. 
Diet Coke is right above uh, deporting people and right below babies in cages. Where the, the Diet Coke button says, I am trash and I'm never, ever going to be anything else the rest of my life. Don't you like Diet Coke? No, not particularly. If I do drink soda pop, I'll have a 7-Up or whatever. And, you know, I think you put half vodka, half 7-Up, and then top it off with some fruit juice or something. You know, in the morning, because mornings are harsh. You get up and the sun's shining and there's a fucking bird or whatever. And there's, uh, you know, there's trees, uh, which, as my friend John Cooper Clark said, are, are harbingers for bird and other vermin. And, uh, you know, sometimes there's flowers and you're like, oh, my God, they're so bright. Turn it down. And that's when you need to use alcohol to tone down the world. Uh, they said he didn't drink, but you saw chunks flying out his nose. But let's cut to the good part. Um, Joe and Jill are clearly still hot for each other. And they, Joe runs everywhere. I don't know if you caught him walking down Pennsylvania Avenue, but he broke off from Jill at one point and ran to the sidelines. And Jennifer and I were like, what's he doing? And then he was fist bumping Al Roker. Like, I'm taking time out of this historic day where a black woman's been put into executive office by his doing. And if you recall, he promised during the debates um, when he had to stand next to Bernie, um, which is an unpleasant experience for anyone, I suspect. Um, even Jane and Shriver, what's his kid's name? Jebediah, Jezebel, whatever his fucking son is. Uh, Biden said, if I'm president, I'm going to put a woman on this black woman on the Supreme Court and I'm going to make I'm going to have a woman vice president. And he bloody well did it. And so on that day, what was important to him was to run over and fist bump with Al Roker who was yelling at him, Mr. President. Uh, and that made me happy. How many people here have avoided calling 45 by his name or his rank for four years? I've done everything I could never, ever, ever to use the word president and his last name in my world. I've called him everything from Zeke Highland Roy to the madness of King Orange, uh, Adolf Schittler, Adolf Tweetler, Tweety Amin. Uh, but... What was that one? Do I have... Am I even listening to myself? Oh. I didn't even need that in my ear. In fact, what it was costing me, I couldn't really hear. How about that? Um, we've had some crappy presidents. There's no question in that. Harding was really mediocre, and he let everybody run around rampant. Um, uh, Coolidge didn't do anything, really. He just sat around. Um, the Klan rose... Woodrow Wilson was a screaming, screaming racist. As I've said on the show before, I think there's maybe three presidents that weren't screaming racists. In my lifetime, two, three. Clinton wasn't. He liked black people way too much, which is why the Republicans had to chase him down and start Fox News. Basically, the reason Fox News started was so that they could persecute the Clintons because the Clintons were friendly with black people. If you don't think that's true, look at what's the last year has been like and you'll get a real good idea of what I'm talking about. Um... And Nixon was a virulent racist. Um, can't speak for Kennedy, you know, uh, on the bubble, probably. I, I think he tried to help the way he thought he could. He had Martin Luther King to the White House after they watched the March for Jobs and Freedom on TV together, him and Bobby. They were like, maybe we should have him over. Like, really? You think so? There's a million people on the mall. <laughs> uh, Bobby, what do you think? Oh, I don't know, John. Uh, Jack, I, I, I think we could have him over. When, Link, when Lincoln had Frederick Douglass to the White House, Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist, whose father was white and mother was black. His mother was a slave. He's from Maryland. He got invented, invited to the White House because he was an eminent person in America. And um, the soldier at the door said, uh-uh, not today. 
we don't let black people in here, except he didn't say that. And so Frederick Douglass found another person and sent a note back with them. And the note got back to the Oval Office where Lincoln was. And Lincoln read it and went, go out and get Frederick Douglass. So he was summoned into the office where in front of that cabinet, uh, the band of, what are they, the League of Rivals, whatever Doris Goodwin called them, the League of Rivals. Now it's like an Avengers assemble, right? I'm Seward. I'm Stanton. I'm Lincoln. We, we have mustaches. Let us assemble with our cigars. They, the Avengers assembled. Um, Lincoln stood up, evidently, in front of all of them and went over to Frederick Douglass and went, it's nice to meet you, sir, and gave him his hand. Well, that's a big moment in presidential history um, because he was an, as virulent a racist as every president who came before him and the one who came uh, subsequent to him, Andrew Johnson. And Andrew Johnson is probably the one that's the most like 45 because he... Uh, was a violent racist who hated Reconstruction. And, although, let's go back to President Tyler. Tyler was such a violent racist that as an ex-president, he joined the Confederacy during the Civil War. So this is what I'm talking about. If you think it was ever different or it was less violent, the Civil War killed 600,000 people. Um, the flu uh, of uh, 1918 uh, killed 600,000 people. And that was during Woodrow Wilson. Wilson lied to the public for two fucking years so that that many people would die. And he hated soldiers, he hated black people, he hated women, he didn't want suffrage. Then why did they make that movie about him? <laughs> um, you know, white guys. Eventually they're going to make a movie about you. Even Ron Howard made a movie about Nixon. I mean, Jesus Christ. They better not make a movie about 45 while I'm alive. Because I will be in front of the theater but with a, by myself with a picket sign, like an insane person. I'll be wearing this hat, and I'll be wearing... I'll be wearing this voodoo doll, which was given to me. Both of these were given to me during the podcast as gifts. When we used to do the gift giving thing at the beginning, of the, I didn't invent it, but people would just come and bring me gifts. This is orange and I've kept it. You can see why, because I still, yeah, yeah. I hope you can feel it all the way in Florida. Oh, can you feel that at Mar-a-Lago? Ah, 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 Stop, stop. Don't do it anymore. What? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Um, this pig hat I've always loved. Did Richard give me this? No, someone gave me this. I think someone just gave me the pig hat. As David Johansson says, I got a pair of shoes I swear that somebody gave me. I got a pig hat somebody gave me. Um, we used to give these out at the show. I'm going to virtually give you one right now. That's Kittens McTavish. Right? And then, because I've said it so many times, people have given me embroideries, books, whatnot, everything. Can you see it from there? Oh, yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. It's like a little cloth that says, awesome beyond measure. Which, of course, is the opposite of vile beyond measure. So Joe and Jill are hot for each other. You've seen pictures of them when they're in their uh, 30s when they hooked up. You've seen the picture this week of Jill in her, in her uh, tank top going like this, and she's all blonde. And she's still keeping the blonde thing going. Um, I don't want to burst anyone's balloon or rain on anyone's parade, but you're, you're often not blonde into your 70s. I don't know if anyone's aware of that. Even, even Paul McCartney's gone gray after being prematurely brunette for the last 20 years. But I love that she keeps that going. That's the Philly part to me. I feel like she could um, uh, fix a car, change a tire, um, make a cheesesteak. Oh, what is it? She makes, what is it, chicken parm? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, make, she has a recipe for chicken parm. Um, the only other person that has a recipe for chicken parm is Carmela Soprano. 
I love her for that. And if you remember when someone came running on stage for Joe, that she fucking threw a lock on the dude, and then Simone Sanders bitch walked them off the stage like this, and then, and stay out. Um, the women around Biden are awesome, and they will fuck you up. And I think that's a beautiful part. Uh, so, as I say, uh, Carter, I don't know, I don't think that racist. He could have been nicer toward disabled people, I suppose. They all have their weaknesses. Obama, I wouldn't say racist. I think he had to be in, the, in a hive of racism, including his own Secret Service and his own FBI, who didn't do him a lot of favors. Um, and that's it. Have we covered them all? Well, Johnson, I suppose. Johnson was probably racist, but was so pragmatic and had such a beautiful overarching vision. And he's really the only president in my lifetime who, who cared about the poor. He really, 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 really helped the poor. And he put Thurgood Marshall on the Supreme Court. And Thurgood Marshall wasn't ready. I mean, he was ready. He just was, had questions. And Johnson phoned him and begged him to be on the Supreme Court. And he's the greatest jurist in American history. Don't let anyone tell you different. It's not Earl Warren and it's not Oliver Wendell Holmes. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a fabulous justice. I was given this on the road. And it's so... And I held this up to Jennifer the, yesterday. Right? Because people say, oh, I want this, and I want this, and I want equality, and I want justice. America moves at a snail's pace. But look what happened in the last 48 hours. Um, Biden said it on stage yesterday. He said, we put a woman in office. Don't tell me things can't change. They fucking changed. And the reason why they had that riot two weeks ago, the looter seditionist riot of uh, the, the disgruntled dentists and disgruntled uh, nail shop owners of Beverly Hills, who, by the way, I, I, I'm in Southern California. Beverly Hills is had Trump rallies every weekend, and there would be maniacs who'd come in from other cities. Why do 45's followers, why do Trumpkins always drive cars like in Mad Max Fury Road? They've always got a car that's wider than shit, and I got Charlize Theronas on my ass, and their heads are, they have weird hairdos, and they're always, never a mask on, and always, like I said, that insane look of, I'm doing something naughty, and I'm getting away with it, and they're all screaming and honking and shit. And of course, it's Beverly Hills, so people are driving by like, oh... But dig, Beverly Hills is really wealthy, and Beverly Hills went overwhelmingly for Trump. They voted for him, 45. I mean, there's restaurants in Beverly Hills that uh, were, like, refusing to mask up. and refu Oh, it's, it's, it's wild. Rich people are really the living end. I, uh, poor people bear a lot of brunt. Everyone always says everybody's a dumb hillbilly that is a violent protester. This group that um, attacked the Capitol, they were not um, poor hillbillies. They were aggrieved white people. As one person put it, um, John Pavlitz, who is a minister, and I follow him on Twitter, it was a revolution of nothing. They were already entitled. They were already aggrieved. They weren't fighting for rights because they have all their fucking rights. If you own a nail shop in Beverly Hills, that means you're paying exorbitant rent or an exorbitant uh, mortgage, and you've already got your own private business in a really exclusive neighborhood in, a, in, a, in an area code where, that no one can afford to live in. So what are you doing hanging like pants? What are you doing trying to shoot Nancy Pelosi? You're, there's a word in Yiddish. You're Michigana. You're fucking Michigana. Um, that means crazy. Or in Navajo, tigis. You're fucking crazy. Um, or, as uh, Axel Rose said, You're fucking crazy! 
Oh, child, you're fucking crazy. Um, that's why I don't forgive that, and I don't forget it. And I don't think Nancy's going to either. Um, let's see. I think I'd marked a spot here, but of course I can't see anything. That's the other thing that um, gets in the way of the show is that I am impossible for me to uh, see because I've, I'm blind as a bat. I'm also deaf, which makes it uh, perfect for me to be a performer because when you guys yell shit out, I'm always like, I didn't hear you. So I can't really be heckled anymore. Uh, and then I try to find things on my computer and uh, you're laughing, but like what looks like letters to you look look like um, multicolored bubbles coming out of a Martian's ass. It's just like, whoa. I, all I can see is floating triffids everywhere. You know what I mean? I am in the middle of a 70s um, vampire lesbian movie. That's the second time I've made a lesbian joke. Uh, that's democracy. Where is it? No, I can't find it. But I, I misquoted it, but there we go. Um, he quoted um, Seamus Haney yesterday and St. Augustine. Joe Biden did. When was the last time you heard the chief executive of the land, whether they were legitimate or not, quote St. Augustine and Seamus Haney? It's clear that 45 doesn't know a word of the Bible, of poetry, of Shakespeare, of a book. He could never tell you what his favorite book was. They asked him a few times what his favorite book in the Bible was. Ah, oh, yeah, Bible, I love the Bible. No. If you love the Bible, you wouldn't have held it upside down and gone like this with it, like you were using a, a, a sex toy in front of a church. You would have never done that if you knew anything about the Bible at all. Now the actual people who are reverent, um, and let's talk about that for a second. Second Catholic president, right? When I was really little, and I'm too little to remember JFK, I remember when he died because my parents were uh, verklempt. And my parents were verklempt about um, Robert Kennedy. Um, the America really flipped out that a Catholic was going to be president. And right-wingers were like, we're going to be controlled by the Vatican. And now, of course, we're controlled by Russia. Or were up until yesterday. Uh, let's see here. So we've got um, we've got Doug Emhoff as the second gentleman, which that needs to be worked on. Uh, we haven't ever had a Jew that close. Um, we've got. Uh, I'm going to read you the whole list here. Kamala is the first woman and the first black woman and the first woman of South Asian extraction and the first woman of Caribbean extraction. Chuck Schumer is the first Jewish majority leader. Hey, America, get right on that. You think a Jew can run a meeting? I'll do a little. I've talked to Mitch McConnell yesterday. I, I talked to my, my niece, Amy. Or is she my cousin? I can never remember. Anyway, Representative Nadler and I have brought some babka to the chamber, and I hope you all enjoy. Don't eat too much of it. It'll, it'll give you the runs. Just go easy on that. <laughs> Honey, where's my page? I need, I need a light decaf with a whisper of cinnamon. Um, John Ossoff, uh, and we haven't even talked about that part. We took back the Senate. We took back the Senate. We took back the Congress, the Senate, and the presidency. And yet you would think that we lost because the media is like, Mr. President, what are you going to do to make Republicans happy? My answer would be I'm going to curb stomp the first one that comes near me. I'm going to curb stomp Marjorie Taylor Greene in front of the fucking pedophile baby-sucking blood ring that I live in where George Soros hands out fucking Bitcoin every night. Gay Bitcoin. 
John Ossoff is a senator from uh, Georgia. No experience as a politician before. Reverend, uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock is a first black senator from Georgia. Georgia's been a state for a while, you guys. They were in the Civil War. They were in, they're in the original group. Um, Georgia is named after King George. Sadly, not after sweet Georgia Brown. And um, Georgia was basically a Scottish colony founded by a man named John Oglethorpe. And the clan, uh, you might have noticed, it sounds quite a lot like when you go to Scotland and they have clans because the people who started the clan, <laughs> there was a lot of people named McGillicuddy. Let me just say, if your name was McIntyre, you wouldn't have had to show your ID. Uh, Raphael Warnock is um, a reverend at the church that Martin Luther King was the reverend at. And to make it even better, John Lewis, the sainted congressperson, the conscience of the Congress, um, was a mentor to John Ossoff and was in Reverend Warnock's co congregation. Warnock beat Leffler, Kelly Leffler. She's the one who looks like this. Guns are great because they're like Jesus. They're like Jesus if he hated a Negro. She was the rich lady who owns the NBA team in Atlanta. And her entire team wore Warnock jerseys for the last half of the season because they hated her so much because there were all black women on her team. Um, she at least conceded, which I thought was wild, won, and didn't go with the crazy dog vote that what Ted Cruz did that, I don't think anyone should be president that I don't like. <laughs> Ted Cruz looks like he has swallowed an avocado pit and is having a very difficult time getting it through the lower tract. Thirty-nine percent of the people in this country believe something's wrong. Yeah, thirty-nine percent believe that Elvis works at a gas station in Dothan, Alabama. You pinhead. Where's my voodoo doll? <laughs> uh, and right, John Ossoff. Right, he, he actually works at uh, in Athens, Georgia, at a at a, a at a at a Kroger's. I'm keeping it close. He works at the Piggly Wiggly in Charleston, West Virginia, which I've been to. And the Piggly Wiggly in West, Charleston, West Virginia, these are people who would vote for 45, right? And vote against their own interests. A guy in front of me had a $3 tub of ice cream and he wrote a check for it. And the manager had to come over. At one point I was like, look, I'm buying everyone in line's groceries. Let's just go. <laughs> the fucking Piggly Wiggly. I'm trying to get a beer. Do you mind? Um... Reverend Warnock beat um, Leffler, and Ossoff beat that uncontemptible um, Burr. And uh, Burr, right? Purdue. Oh, Purdue. I'm confusing them because both Burr and Purdue um, are inconceivably crooked businessmen. Purdue was the one who ran a business in India, CEO of a bunch of different companies, and uh, lived in India, and then got up on stage and went, Kamala, 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 however name's pronounced. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so funny. What if I want Purdue, poo poo, poo poo, doo poo, doo poo, doo? You know, all white people's names sound the same, don't they? You know, I'm from a continent with two billion people. Maybe your name sounds fucking funny, you chinless douchebag. So, anyway, Ossoff uh, beat him. So, first Jew from uh, uh, Jewish senator from Georgia, Warnock, first black senator from Georgia, Alex Padilla uh, from our great state of California here. Um, the sad part was that by Kamala leaving the Senate and having to resign, uh, there are no black women in the Senate now. This is an unfortunate state of affairs. It is, however, not California's fault. We put a black woman in the Senate. 
like Carol Mosley Brown. There's only been two in the history of the country. There's been thousands of senators. Many of them looked and acted like Leffler and Purdue. By the way, Leffler wasn't elected. She was never elected. Let me just point out something that I think you'll find interesting. I hope you do if you haven't left the show already. I can't see the screen anymore. Um, <laughs> McSally in Arizona was appointed by their idiotic governor, uh, Ducey. And she lost her election to Mark Kelly, who is the husband of Gabby Giffords. Mark Kelly's an astronaut and a hero. Gabby Giffords is a hero. Um, the shootout in the car park uh, that Gabby Giffords got shot at was in Tucson at a Safeway. Now, I'm from, I was born in Phoenix, a good Samaritan. Arizona was the reddest, 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 reddest state in the world. Now they have two Democratic senators, including a bisexual weirdo, cinema, and now Mark Kelly. And the two appointed senators, McSally and uh, Leffler, uh, that horrible, horrible Kemp uh, and, uh, appointed Leffler, were both defeated by Democrats. Georgia went blue. Arizona went blue. What does that tell you? It tells you this, that you don't need Ohio and Florida to win the presidency anymore, one. And the two, good things can happen everywhere. Colorado went completely blue with their senators. They also put Bieber in the Congress because once you get out of Denver, it gets a little crazy. I don't know if you've ever been to Greeley, but it smells like rendered cow. Greeley smells so awful. Next to Barrow and Furness, I don't think I've ever been to a town that smelled as bad. I remember going on stage at Barrow and Furness and going, why does your town smell like shit? And the whole crowd went, boo. And I was like, was that too harsh up front? Um, so I think there's a lot of progress. So uh, our senator left uh, to become vice president. And I don't know if you caught her reading that yesterday when she swore in Warnock, Padilla, and Ossoff. She went, uh, due to the resignation of Senator Kamala Harris of California, and then she went, that was weird. Why I love her and Hillary is that they can go from the gravest, most possible, serious uh, element of their voice, completely composed, completely in, in possession of all the facts, because as every woman who's watching this knows, you have to be three times as good as a white guy to even get half of what they're going to get. And as any person of color watching this knows, you have to be five times as good as a white guy to get anything near what they're going to fucking get. They go from that to, this is a very important situation, we've got to save everyone to... <laughs> That delights me beyond all measure. There's nothing, nothing better than an accomplished, intelligent woman in charge. And you watch. You put a few women in charge. I don't know if anyone follows Finland. Uh, their PM is a woman and their entire cabinet are women. I don't know if you're following New Zealand. New Zealand's cases are like this. People can go to the movies in New Zealand, you guys. Um, Taiwan has a, a trans, is it, a, a minister of health? And a, 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 a woman PM. Um, Taiwan has ball games, you guys. People can go to the park. People can go eat together and stuff. Not like us, where we're sitting at home waiting for our, our you know, Amazon Fruit Loops to come. <laughs> Am I the only one who orders Fruit Loops? They're so good with vodka. Uh, because, you, they, you know, they float and they form like a little fruit base. And then it's almost like making a cocktail, really, without the work of the cocktail. So Alex Pena is a Latin American. California has 40 million people, and I'm guessing, oh, I'm guessing about a quarter Latin population of this state, sort of like everywhere in the West. Um, here in Los Angeles, uh, we have taco trucks in every corner. It is muy bueno. When they threatened America with, if you vote for her, there's going to be taco trucks, everyone in LA was like, right? <laughs> the question in LA is, is there taco trucks in any corner, every corner? The question is, do I get a, a shrimp taco, deep fried shrimp taco, 
or do I go carne asada, or do I go cochinita pibil, or do I go barbacoa, or do I go... There's a new show on TV called Taco Chronicle, is it? It's, I think it's on Netflix. And it's great because they don't do it by... Uh, they do it by the style of taco. Each episode is about the style of taco, so they go to the place where they... Do, but if you get stoned and watch the show, have something to eat nearby because you're going to lose your mind. When they show them a trigger alert, there's going to be animal flesh eating, talking... They, when they cut up a roast lamb and put it in a taco and then they put the salsa on it and you're sitting at home like, oh, fuck this shit. You're going to get in your car and run to Taco Bell and get the most disappointing taco of your life. The Taco Chronicles, what it points out, aside from Mexico uh, and their rich heritage of food, is that America is a taco desert. Let's be honest. There's, there, if you're in Texas or Arizona, New Mexico... Colorado, even Utah, uh, even Oregon uh, and California, always San Francisco, San Francisco. It's the burrito. Mm -hmm. We're burrito oriented people from San Francisco. And it's, it's either like the uh, pork burrito, obviously the chicken burrito, but carne asada was the one that dominated San Francisco. The chopped up steak, a little bit of salsa, kidney beans or refried. I'm more of a kidney bean girl. They put rice in it if you want, but I, I'm not a big rice person. I think it just fills it out. Although when you're broke, which we were for years, uh, you could get a taco, a taco real cumbre, for $2.10. And if you added cheese, I think it was a quarter more to get some of the, the cheese. And they grill it so that it's charred on the outside. And then they chop it with two giant cleavers really fine. So when the salsa hits it, you're like, a it's just the smell of a carne asada burrito is magnificent. Here in L.A., it's way more of a taco situation. And um, in San Diego, it's a fish taco situation. I don't know if you've ever been to San Diego. The fish tacos there are too fucking die for. A little bit of crema, a little bit of cabbage, deep fried cod, right? But lightly, lightly deep fried. And then in a, in a flour tortilla. I mean, I'm just talking about this now. I'm going to have to stop the show. <laughs> and fucking get on the Postmates and get some fucking barbacoa delivered to this fucking place. So if you watch the Taco Chronicles, you will lose your mind. But then, as I say, you go to Alabama, Mexican food's a little thin on the ground. New York, whoa, whoa, whoa. Delaware, where Joe's from. The thing I kept saying, like, I love Joe. Uh, uh, and I've been to Delaware many times, played all over. Mind you, all over in Delaware is like, you can see the next city from where you're standing in Delaware. You're like, oh, look, there's, there's Wilmington. <laughs> then you go to Dover and you're like, oh, there's Connecticut. I used to do many jokes about Delaware. How could we elect someone to vice president that's from the smallest state in the world? It's a jot. It's an iota. It's a scintilla. It's a, it's a notion. It's a, it's a quotation mark. There, there are elements in the high 100s that last longer than Delaware. Delaware so small, it has adhesive on one side. That's a postage stamp joke. Delaware is Rhode Island without the mafia. I don't know much about Delaware, but I do know this, that currently, tonight, on Thursday, no one in the United States has plans to visit Delaware this weekend. <laughs> What's it like growing up in Delaware? I'm thinking covered bridges and a guy wearing a tri-cornered hat with a feather in it and a musket and someone's churning butter and children are crying. It's a Revolutionary War reenactment place and the children are crying because this is their field trip. 
If I lived in Delaware, I would kill myself. I would take a Pepperidge Farm Mint Milano and just drive it into my cerebral cortex. That's the ritual seppuku of Delaware. It's the only way to stop the pain of being in Delaware. The one thing I'll say about Delaware is there's crab cakes, sure. Um, I've been in Wilmington on a Dover on a Sunday, Wilmington on a Sunday. Talk about 28 days later. When you wake up in your hotel on Sunday in Delaware and walk out onto the street, you're like, am I the only one here? (laughs) Where is everybody? And then you go to the subway, like a subway sandwich, and it's closed. And you're like, no, no. I've never been as disappointed by food as Delaware, really. I mean, if you're a crab, I guess. No calamari comeback. No, there's no calamari comeback, uh, like Rhode Island. But, like, the idea, my joke was, you got no good weed and no good Mexican food. How can you call yourself civilized? Buy an avocado, Delaware. Get in the game. Chip, chip. Let's go. Or be like Pennsylvania and put, like, a pound of cheese on the salad. You order a salad. If you order a salad in Pennsylvania, there's more cheese and croutons on it than there is salad. People in Pennsylvania look like the entire Pittsburgh Penguins front line. I mean, that one individual is that big. Like, not all three lines, but certainly the front line. I mean, you go to a sheets there and you're like, I'll have a cheese sandwich with cheese on it. And give me one of the, let me one of them fountain drinks from them. I love Pennsylvania. But again, I stayed at a place, I think it was Indiana, Pennsylvania, where my meal for the day was a submarine sandwich with French fries on it and a Coke. And, also, the Pittsburgh Improv. Comedy clubs should be an intimate affair like this. Everyone should be in a chair at a table with a drink in front of them, sitting like this, right? Pittsburgh, they built these booths. So everyone comes in. They're all wearing uh, Penguins jerseys, right? They all weigh 375 pounds. I'm not fat shaming. Just stating a fact. And then they all ease into their chair like Jabba and then reach into a jar next to them and eat a frog out of it. So they're watching the show like this the whole time. So there's no way to get their attention and there's no way to get any enthusiasm going because everyone's like this. Then they order chicken tenders and a a Pittsburgh salad, which is a a, a K2 of cheese with a a mice climbing the side wearing lederhosen. We'll never get to the top. So am I. I can't breathe. I got enough oxygen. That's how the audience sits in Pittsburgh with this. They're just waiting for the moment when they can leave and... Um, go to Steak and Shake. So Alex Padilla is uh, the first Latin senator from the state of California, which is a shocking state of affairs. I can't believe California never put a Latin person in the Senate, but there you are. So that was a first. Avril Haines was um, confirmed today as the first uh, director of the DNI. Uh, That's a a security agency. They've never had a woman director. I'm going to go through all of them because I'm so happy. Um, Why is this a big deal? Um, Do you remember the last cabinet? There was Wilbur Ross who actually looked and talked like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Wilbur Ross took the I'm in a banking deal in Cyprus with some people of olive skin. (laughs) Then there was Betsy DeVos. I don't think books are important. You can use a book to prop up a woggly table leg on the yacht. And then there was Alex Azar. Well, I know I'm supposed to be helping people with health, but I'm quite busy now stealing. <laughs> no one in his cabinet. Oh, Ben Carson was black. Okay, Ben Carson was black. Ben Carson, by the way, does anyone even remember what he was in charge of? It was health and human services, you guys. We have 400,000 dead people. A physician was in charge of it. 
and Ben Carson, they put the pyramid. Which one was he? HUD? He was HUD. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. He was HUD, which is a housing and urban development. Again, 400,000 people displaced, evictions, rent. And he, what did he do? I'm busy storing cereal inside the pyramids like the ancient Egyptian did. <laughs> Sometimes they'd put fruity pebbles, other times King Vitaman. <laughs> Jennifer called him Human Lunesta at one point. The first black deputy secretary of the treasury, Adewale Wale Adeyamo. Fantastic. He was in the Obama administration. Lloyd Austin is going to be our next Secretary of Defense. We've never had a black Secretary of Defense. First Latino to head Health and Human Services, Xavier Becerra. Xavier Becerra was our own Attorney General here in California. Are you getting a California vibe yet? Xavier uh, Becerra is uh, going to be Health and Human Services, which couldn't be more important at this juncture. Kamala Harris, who's from the Bay Area, is Vice President. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, San Francisco. She's Speaker of the House. Um, my good friend from high school and college, Jennifer Grenholm, is going to be the Secretary of Energy. She went to San Carlos High with me. She was the queen of our junior prom. Yep. And she was Governor of Michigan uh, and AG of Michigan. She was AG of Michigan for eight years, Governor of Michigan for eight years. She's very nice, very smart. I know her, Horatio, and I can assure you, since I know one of the people in the cabinet, that she's a smart, nice, liberal person from the Bay Area. Our first out... LGBTQ cabinet secretary will be Pete Boot Edge Edge, Transpo. First Hispanic American White House sexual secretary, Carlos Elizondo. First Native American cabinet member. We've never had a Native American in the cabinet, you guys. We've been a country for 241 years. We've uh, been the white people who invaded this place since, what, 1492? When do you want to start counting America? The early 1500s when the Spanish got here, or the 16, early 1600s when the British came and started robbing graves and stuff and setting fire to people's houses. First Native American Cabinet Secretary Deb Holland from New Mexico. I couldn't be more excited about that. Also, whenever Biden speaks, he always speaks of, of tribal leaders and, and the, um, the element of what Canadians call First Nations, uh, the first people here. Avril Haynes, we talked about that. The first woman to lead the intelligence community. She's already confirmed today. Uh, first woman, De- uh, Deputy Defense Secretary, Catherine Hicks, Kathleen Hicks. First Latino and immigrant secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. First black man to lead the EPA, Michael Regan. First woman of color to chair the Council of Economic Advisors, Celia Roos. First woman of color as U.S. Trade Representative, Catherine Tai. She's Asian. First woman of color, South Asian American as Director of Office of uh, Management and Budget, Neera Tandon. Does this sound familiar? Oh, Janet Yellen, first woman as Treasury Secretary. Janet Yellen, of course, as we talked about, ran the Fed. She's also, as my dad would say, Jewish. Um, We got Jews all up in this place. We got women all up in this place. We got South Asians. We got black people. We have uh, gay people. We have Native Americans. It looks nothing like the last administration. It looks everything like America. And that can't be anything but good. I'm all for diversity, unless it includes white guys. <laughs> then I'm not for it at all. Why do you say that? Stephen Miller was an advisor to 45. He was the one who invented the whole separating babies, putting them in cages. And uh, as you recall, 
uh, several months ago it was revealed, they had a cabinet meeting and um, they talked about it, the unfeasibility of caging the babies and separating them from their parents, how they couldn't keep track, how it wasn't a good legal program. And Stephen Miller rammed it through. He married a woman and she had a baby. And by the way, she had the COVID. Katie Miller's her name. And they took her to a detention center and she said, and I'm quoting here, they told me after I had a kid, I'd feel differently about the detention centers. And this is the one. They took her to a detention center, they showed her around, and they said it would make her more compassionate. And she said to Jacob Soveroff, the reporter, it didn't work. So that's the kind of people we're talking about here. So when we're talking about unity and forgiveness and all that, um, I'm a comedian, not a saint. As the Count of Monte Cristo said, I'm a count, not a saint. Um, You can forgive all you like. Um, uh, I once said on the show, forgive everything, forget nothing. And I think that's the way we do it. I loved uh, Ms. Uh, Gorman's uh, poem yesterday. It was free verse, uh, which I loved. Poetry's back. Seamus Haney's back. You should read Seamus Haney. He's a beautiful poet. He was from Northern Ireland, and Northern Ireland was a really troubled place. First of all, he has a beautiful voice. I remember hearing him interviewed years ago on the radio, and um, he won the Nobel Prize for poetry. He, he was one of those rare poets who was actually popular with the public and a really good poet and won all the awards because he was a nice person. He was really literate. And they said, because um, he moved to Dublin, he was from Northern Ireland, he was from Derry, but he moved to Dublin, and then he moved, to, he taught in the States, of course, he was a literary lion. When you win the Nobel Prize, you get to teach. And um, what's your excuse, Greg? I empowered myself. I gave myself the Prupel Prize. And uh, the, I remember the person interviewing him said, how come you think you're so, uh, what, what is it about you in Ireland and whatnot? And he goes, the thing is, if I was from another country, no one would care. But in Ireland, poets are rock stars. <laughs> it's true. Uh, the Irish do three things really, really, really well. Um, smoke salmon. Uh, poetry. Okay, two things. They do two things really well. Now, uh, yeah, everyone in Ireland is a, a poet and the soul of a poet. Sean Hughes, who is a brilliant comedian who's uh, swirling in the heavens now, and it was a mate of ours. Uh, he was from Ireland. And he said, men would meet at pubs every day and they would write their poems and talk about words and we called them drunks. <laughs> right? Where's that line that I'm looking for from her? Ah, this is Miss Gorman's poem. While democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated in this truth, in this face we trust. For while we have our eyes on the future, history has has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour. But within it, we found the power to author a new chapter to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe? Now we assert, how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? The interior rhyme is so well wrought. We found the power to author a new chapter to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. There's a lot of the beat poet in her. Free verse is a way to uh, take yourself out of being chain to rhyming um, but our friend the poet Johnny Cooper Clark would say rhyming does give you a bit of structure 
Um, she's going to be a superstar. Anderson Cooper gushed over her tonight. I thought he was going to ask her out. <laughs> we will we build. Oh, this was the part I liked. Oh, yes. <laughs> we will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the West, which is where she's from. She's, uh, she lived in Santa Monica, and she's had quite an upbringing, but the gold-limbed hills of the West, to me, um, if I can be so bold, smacks of Bret Hart and Mark Twain, the, the bohemian writers of the 19th century that came from San Francisco when San Francisco was considered a backwater by the literary circles of the East where they had Emerson and Emily Dickinson and all that. And we were just trying to get on the map then because Twain's really like the first, or Hart rather, but then Twain is like the first big superstar of lit. But gold-limbed hills, as Mark Twain used to say, let me gather my reflections and begin to free my mind. Uh, we will rise from the windswept northeast where the sheets has fountain drinks that are limitless. I added that part. <laughs> the windswept northeast where the top of your RV is caressed by the... <laughs> where lunch at a filling station is not unknown... Here we go. We will rise from the windswept northeast, where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked south. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover, and every known rock of our nation and every corner called our country, our people diverse and beautiful, will emerge, battered and beautiful. When day comes... We step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light if we're only brave enough to see it. If we're only, if, if only we're brave enough to be it. It's a beautiful poem. Um, when Bill Clinton was inaugurated, he had Maya Angelou write a poem for his inauguration. When 45 was inaugurated, he had Toby Keith. His most famous line is, I'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. Uh, I'm playing tonight, and then I'm playing February 6th at uh, the Nowhere Comedy Club with Ben Glebe. It's on my website, gregproops.com, or you can go to Nowhere Comedy Club. I'm also doing a show on the 16th, a stand-up show, and then the 28th of next month, another podcast. You guys are like, we already bought tickets, aren't we already fans enough? I know, but I'm recording this as well, and I'm going to put it out as an audio podcast. You mean we could have seen this for free? Yep. <laughs> I know. Thank you. That'll teach you. Uh, and then um, uh, the 20th of next month, sorry, the 20th of next month, um, Whose Line is Back with Ryan Stiles, Joel Murray, and the other one whose name I always forget. Jeff, is it? And uh, we're doing a, a live improv show. Yes, there'll be special guests. We had Colin in at Christmas. It was nice. Thank you for wearing a tuxedo, by the way. I love your outfit, Kevin. Um, you look fabulous. A lot of you look really fabulous. Wolfie, I love where you live. Um, right? Some of us live in, like, dope dens, and I love it. 
And the, the purple light at Sarah's house. That is wild. Sarah, you're not drinking that pot juice, are you? Remember when you gave me a jar of pot juice? <laughs> Don't pretend. Uh, I do remember the jar of pot juice. You did. It was a, it was actually a file with it with a, uh, a, a what do they call it a dripper a dropper. We gave it to a good friend of ours who needed it quite a lot at the time. Um, so I appreciate that. Yes. Hi. Hello. Jennifer says hi. Um, hi. Right. So uh, all the goodness that's happened in the last couple of days has made me ecstatic. And that and trying to, of course, sleep again and then deal with the fact that uh, in two years time, we'll have either taken complete charge of this, um, crushed the COVID, as they say, and uh, moved forward and and, uh, had a new dawn, or we're going to allow ugly, icky white guys to continue to have too much control over the national dialogue. And I don't think we have to. There's some nice white guys. You may have seen him. Um, Adam Schiff, Brian Schatz, Chris Murphy, Dick Blumenthal, Warner, Tim Kaine, of course. The only complaint I have about Tim Kaine is that he plays bluegrass music all the time. Stop it. (laughs) Is Cory Booker really dating Rosario Dawson? Or is that just to dazzle us? Well, okay. I was going to say it's like using the glamour in the movie The Craft. Vegans are a hard crowd. I know, right? Vegans are a hard crowd. Um, By the way, remember when they threatened that if you elected this group, that Cory Booker was going to come to your neighborhood, and everybody thought, "I like Cory Booker. (laughs) He could bring me a mask." Greg, I brought you a mask. I'm putting him over here so I don't have to get you close. The elusive, ephemeral, emotional support Munchak was born out of a dream one night at the Nerd Melt, which was a terrible venue that was on Sunset Boulevard here behind a comic book store in Los Angeles. It burned down, and then they're going to build some other bloody thing there. Um, and uh, someone pushed their chair back and it squeaked. And I went, what was that noise? Because it went, and I was like, do you know what that is? That's the elusive, ephemeral, emotional support Munchak. Well, over the years, you can't keep a good Munchak down. And people, people cabbaged onto it, as my mother would say. My mother used the expression cabbaged on. My mother was from Mississippi, and she had a lot of colorful expressions. Like, for often she was tickled pink. And uh, uh, it, it, when she invoked a, a deity, she never said, my God. She always said, my stars. Evidently, there were stars that were controlling my mother. And her movements through the universe. <laughs> when you're from Casilla, Mississippi, there's a lot of, a lot of questions, I think, really. And um, she had one brother that um, uh, died at birth. And because my mother was from that era, I said, why did he die? When I, I was finally old enough to know. And she went, because he was a blue baby. Does anyone even say that anymore? What is that? That's like 19th century shit. But then my aunt, Sylvia who was Jewish and from New York, used to say to me when I call her on the phone, hold the line. Like we were on Elliot Ness's phone or something. Hold the line. And then she'd go, I can't, I, you can't come visit because I have neuralgia. She had neuralgia. Do you, you don't have dengue fever in the yaws, do you? you? I don't have to worry about rickets creeping in here, do I, Aunt Sylvia? Or Syl, as I used to call her. 
she was just an old school from New York. One time we were at her crib, and she lived in this beautiful little crib in downtown Manhattan um, that her husband Irwin and her had lived in. And all of his, he was an architect. All of his drawings were still up. And I asked her once, who was the first uh, president you voted for? And she was like, Roosevelt in 32, right? And uh, she was old. She was in her 90s. And I said, um, Christopher Plummer was playing uh, Barrymore on Broadway that season. And Jennifer and I were over at Sills Crib. And I said, did you see uh, Christopher Plummer? Because she had uh, uh, season tickets to everything, right? Uh, the opera, uh, 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 the symphony. Um, she was a subscriber at a bunch of different theaters. Of course, of course. She, was a, she would wear a fox fur to dinner. A fox fur with the head like this. Right? And you can't say anything. She'd had it for, since the 40s, you know. And then we'd walk into the French restaurant. We ate at a French restaurant on the corner. It was so old-fashioned. And the French uh, maitre d' would come up and go, Ms. Muller, what a pleasure to see you. This is my nephew, Gregory, and my niece, Jennifer. And the fox. I said to her, did you see Christopher Plummer play Barrymore? And she went, I saw Barrymore. She was a theater critic for her high school paper, and she interviewed John Barrymore when he was on stage, and Alfred Lunt and uh, uh, Miss Fontaine. Lunt and Fontaine are a very famous theater couple from uh, World War One era, two, uh, 20s in New York, but still, still got around. Uh, anyway, the Muntjac uh, uh, appeared that night, and someone sent me this, right? So what they've done is, as far as I can see, they've sewed little muntjac teeth onto the front of it because muntjacs are deer with teeth. And then... By the way, I had many more than this. I have, there was plastic toys. I gave a couple away to a good buddy of ours named Robbo because uh, a person had made a dope box for me that had uh, muntjacs on it. And then inside there was a one-hitter. And it was so cute. It was so cute. I gave it to Robbo. Do you have a drumstick? What do you got there, Wolfie? Uh, and then this one, this was a, a, our good friend Sam Johnson, who's also a Swirling in the Stars, made a picture for Jennifer years ago that said, I support you in everything you do. So I made that the slogan of the elusive, emotional, and ephemeral support Munchak. I support you in everything you do. And someone made me this beautiful. Aww. Isn't that cool? Awesome. Really awesome. And it's, uh, it was a person named Robin, and uh, they're... At sick, sick beat stitch, sick s i c k b e e t s t i t c h. Robin, beautiful. I think she made this one too, and this one. Oh no, another woman made this one. These are gifts I've received over the years, you guys. Which is why I keep doing the show, even if I'm not funny. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Grow a pair. The patch that's uh, the patch that I show you on the um, uh, uh, on Twitter that says feminist as fuck that has an eye patch over one of the uh, uterus uteri um, was given to me uh, at a gig and I gave it to the woman who runs the Poetry Foundation. We had lunch in Chicago at this really chic Japanese place she took me to and I gave it to her. So I don't have it anymore, but it's a great patch. Um, and then because I was on Harmontown. Uh, as a guest from time to time with uh, Jeff Davis was uh, the comptroller. Uh, I used to do a character when we played D&D &D called uh, um, 
Tylenol with codeine. Why Tylenol with codeine? Because I'm superior to regular Tylenol. If you've ever had a Tylenol with codeine, in Canada they're called 222s. In um, England they're called Nurofen Plus. Not that I've done any research. And here they're called Vicodin. Um, uh, they, if you take two of them, it really, really takes the edge off. And so I was given this because I was a unicorn. Isn't that beautiful? Someone painted it and put a little... Uh, look, it's wearing a little net and whatnot, you see? It's got... And the wings, yeah. And the, I couldn't be more grateful for all these gifts. I've left... I have unicorn socks, unicorn underwear... Uh, I was given a little toy unicorn that I'd leave in Toronto one night. Uh, and then, because of the Porpoise of Fruititude that we record in. And look how they spelled it. That's what I love. They're the only ones who actually spelled it that way. Fruititude were my name. So cute. And then, you know I like baseball. I'm not going to go into it. But the um, Kansas City, it's the 100th uh, anniversary of the Negro Leagues last year, but they're going to have this celebration this year, probably virtually in the summer. Um, and the Kansas City minor league team was called the, what were they, the pork chops or the, they were called the, uh, the, they had a Kansas City kind of meat name. They've changed their name to the Monarchs. They adopted the Monarchs name today. So there's going to be a professional baseball team in the minor leagues in the state of Missouri called the Kansas City Monarchs again. And uh, I watched Bob Kendrick, the president today, talk about how great it is. And he said, so these players, when they put on the pinstripes of the Monarchs are playing T-bones. What did I say? Pork chops? The T-bones. The T-bones. Everything in Kansas is meat. You can't be a vegetarian in Kansas. I mean, you can, but you're going to, you know, carry on my wayward vegan. There'll be meat when you are done. Lay your weary falafel to rest. I mean, it's ribs and ribs and ribs. When we have lunch at the Negro League Museum, it's uh, brisket, pork, ham, turkey, uh, white bread, beans, coleslaw, iced tea. It is to die. It is to die. I mean, just to be able to sit with like Eddie Murray or Al Oliver or J.R. Richard or Maury Wills and eat ribs, which is what we do. And then that's when I swoop down on them with all my swag and make them sign books and shit. Eating ribs with fucking Dick Allen, which I got to do two years ago. Dick Allen's swirling in the heavens now. And Jennifer and Dick Allen never stopped riffing. They sat in the back of the bus together. And Eddie Murray, the fucking Hall of Fame first baseman from the uh, Indians, uh, Dodgers, and uh, uh, Orioles, turns to Dick Allen and Jennifer and goes, back of the bus! The coach has got his eyes on you! Right? Like, it was just awesome. Uh, a woman gave me this. Matt Cain pitched for the Giants. And uh, so I'm very excited that the Monarchs are going to be... I'll finish my thought. Bob Kendrick said, when they put on the pinstripes of the Monarchs, they're wearing the same uniform that Buck O'Neill wore, that Satchel Paige wore, that Hilton Smith wore. We met Hilton Smith's son in Kansas City. Hilton Smith was the one who would, Paige would pitch the first three innings and then Smith would come in and pitch the last six innings often. They won the 1945 Negro League World Series. And uh, so he said, it's a continuum. They're wearing the uniform of the players from then, that for... The idea that a Negro League team's name is back in professional baseball in this time and frame, in this period, uh, whereas Ms. Gorman said, um, we're, we're not going to let there be injustice. It's just profound and beautiful, I think. 
with me, baseball's the metaphor for everything because uh, it's economic injustice, racial injustice, uh, gender injustice. We're going to have a woman GM this year on the Marlins, right? The first time a woman's ever got to be a GM of the team. And by the way, I was talking to a sports writer named Andrew Baggerly this week because uh, the owner of the Giants gave money to uh, some of the QAnon candidates. And Christine Pelosi was pretty fucked off about it, as was Ronell Brooks-Moon, who works as the PA announcer for the Giants. And I had their back. I, and then he did an interview with me, and he said, what are you going to do, boycott? And I was like, look, I boycotted last year. I go, the owners have always been as awful racist Nazis. I said, that's not new, and he's not going to stop doing it. But they've got to acknowledge it and stop giving the bullshit answers. His first answer was, I wasn't aware that she was a QAnon candidate. It's like, you're an 88-year-old billionaire. You have a phone. So that excuse doesn't work anymore. That's like me saying, well, I hate bitches. Wait a minute. I didn't know you weren't supposed to say that anymore. I'm from 1959. It's not good. So the upshot was he dropped it and he's getting his money back from them. It's not a lot. It's not a lot, but it's as much as you can expect from an owner. Um, what was my point that I was going to say that I said to Andrew about the... Uh, he did uh, the Negro Leagues. And anyway, moving on. Uh, he's, a, he's a writer for The Athletic, which is a very nice paper. You have to buy it. Matt Cain pitched for the Giants, the San Francisco Giants, and he threw a perfect game. And um, a woman came to the show, and I don't know if you can see it, but gave me Matty Cain's autograph ball. Wow. Yeah. Uh, a perfect game. And a perfect game in baseball is when you put down 27 batters in a row. A perfect game in bowling is when the French fries arrive before the third frame. <laughs> a perfect game in golf is when you don't see any women or people of color through all 18 holes a perfect game I can go on a perfect game a perfect a perfect game in football is a perfect game in hockey is when there's more teeth on the ice than there are pucks a perfect oh someone went ew no one was harmed during the making of my jokes <laughs> Here's some books people have given me. The Male Motor is the name of the book. By M. Sale Taylor, SCD, PhD, author of Facts for Wives, Sex Vigor, Natural Birth Control, How to Know Your Affinity, Sex Knowledge for Children, etc., etc. Sex Knowledge for Children is the worst name for a book I've ever heard in my life. Copyright 1927. Somebody say. Stop, stop. Here we go. Buckle in, you guys. This is from 1927 by a guy who wrote Sex Tips for Children. It will pay the man who feels that it isn't as bad to get lit up once in a while to go and take in the nightlife of a city to read most carefully the chapters on the prostitute and the amateur and on venereal disease. For the personal application of this knowledge contained therein may be the means of saving his health, his home, and the health of his posterity. <laughs> I can... You're going to love this sentence. I can understand the man who, under the heated passion of patriotic fervor, will bid goodbye to his wife and babies and for the honor of his country and walk bravely into the jaws of death and with a song in his heart and a smile in his eyes sacrifice his life for national freedom and peace. I cannot understand the man who, under the heated passion of his own selfish desires, will bid goodbye to his wife and babies and in dishonor to his home stalk drunkenly into the jaws of venereal disease. 
manners for girls. Make sure they're good. Yeah, this one you're not going to believe. 1936 by Inez Hain Irwin. Somebody. Yeah. Right? This is good manners for girls. Uh, nature. Mm, not hot enough. What are good manners? Having decided that good manners constitute a shortcut to social ease, we ask ourselves two questions. What is a lady? What is a gentleman? I think the Bee Gees put it best. More than a woman, more than a woman to me. Defining a lady is a difficult matter. My dictionary is, of course, glib enough. A woman who looks after the domestic affairs of the family, the female head of a household, a mistress. Has anyone started barfing yet? <laughs> Defining a gentleman is an equally difficult matter, but the dictionary displays its well-known courage and sails straight on. A man well-born, one of good family, though not noble. <laughs> who the fuck was reading this in the 30s? By the way, the Spanish Revolution was going on at this time. All right. Anyway, someone gave me that, and it's great. Uh, and then two quick ones, and then we're fucking off into this good night. Uh, my friend, uh, yes, I have a friend who teaches uh, creative writing. He's the director of creative writing at Yale in the Department of English. His name is Richard Deming, and he wrote a really lovely Romana Clef about the movie Touch of Evil. It's short, as you can see. It's a university press, but he sent it to me, and it's quite riveting. The movie is a mixed bag. It's a noir. It's really broad, um, but it's also very stirring. Charlton Heston plays a Mexican in it. Hold on. Charlton Heston plays a Mexican in it, and he wears Ben Nine Number Nine fucking tan makeup, and he goes, I'm not here as a policeman. I'm here as a husband. And you're like, oh, God, it's really good. And Orson Welles has got, is giantly fat in it. And he comes in and, uh, to Marlena Dietrich's house and she runs the uh, you know brothel or whatever. Kind of. It's sort of an old broken down chili parlor at that point. And she says, um, he says, maybe, uh, maybe Tom, sometime uh, I'm going to come back for some of your chili. And Marlena Dietrich with a cigarette. You better be careful. Might be too hot for you. <laughs> Orson Welles goes, <laughs> yeah, you, I'll come back for your chili. It might be too hot for you. I think we're all following the thread on this. And then a friend of mine, this is a galley, but he sent it to me anyway, Ben Bird. Uh, ben Beard. It's called The South Always Plays Itself. And it's a book about cinema uh, and uh, how the South is depicted on film. And the South always plays itself, meaning it's always from the outside, right? Like, you, you, you know... Garden in the, uh, when night in the garden of good and evil, and um, uh, uh, you know where would we be without southern literature and film? But the South never wants to depict itself honestly. The South always wants to spin itself all over the world. So it's a really interesting book about that. Winter in Dixieland, yeah. Night of the Hunter and Southern Horror. Night of the Hunter is an unforgettable movie. And then uh, a dude gave me this at a show. There's a novel of Buckaroo Banzai by Earl Mac Roush. And it is Bitchin' McChicken. 
And then hilariously, as a bookmark, I found the cat in L.A. pretends to be a German singer named Heino. And it's all Bavarian stuff with a giant stein. And it's and he, the, I don't know if you can see the wig. You can't really. He has a giant white wig and he's got a stein in his hand there. Uh, I have no idea. The, th the exciting thing, as A.A. Milne said, about being disorganized is that one makes so many marvelous discoveries. But the great thing about being a voracious reader who reads shit halfway through and, pat and then puts whatever they're reading it with in as a book is don't you find everything in your books? I've found bus uh, uh, transfers from San Francisco in the 80s when the bus cost 75 cents to take in the middle of a book and be like, what? And then, uh, yeah. So it's, it's, I, I say whatever random shit you're using as a bookmark, leave it in the middle of the book. And then years later, when you pull that book out, you're going to go, I don't remember going to Cincinnati. I want to go longer, but I have another show after this. But I promised a disco dance party, and I promised you another thing. I told you uh, that we get through this, and we did done get through it. I told you that we'd have a woman in the executive office. I'm not a seer. I'm not a prognosticator. I also just know that from the time I was little, when there was no such thing as a woman on the Supreme Court, when there was no such thing as a black person in any position of giant power, when there was none of that, um, that it's all come forward since then, that everything has moved forward, and that this uh, 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 Biden cabinet and all this sh uh, shows how exciting that is. Before Biden, the Congress, the last Congress that put 117 women in, before that, um, black mayors in every major city, uh, Atlanta, Washington, San Francisco, uh, 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 women governors in New Mexico. Uh, uh, it, there's no stopping the tide of change. Icky, ugly people with no soul are going to stamp their feet and grind their fist into their hips and tell you that nothing can change. They're going to tell you there's never going to be gun control. There's a I was in uh, uh, the press box in 1988 in Scottsdale, Arizona with the VP of the Giants at the time. You can look up who it was. I'm not going to say his name. And a bunch of exhibition players had come over from Japan and were playing on the field. They were throwing a ball around, da-da-da. Well, as you recall, uh, um, fantastically... Chanho Park from Korea, and um, subsequently to that, Daisuke, a thousand players from Japan have been in the big leagues, including Ikiro, who will most certainly go in the Hall of Fame. All the Japanese guys are on the pitch, and I said, do you think there'll ever be Japanese guys in the big leagues? Right? This is the vice president of the Giants, and he turned to me and he went, no. He said, the Giants had one, and I went, yeah, I know, they had Masanori Murakami. Masanori Murakami is the first Japanese um, ball player to play in the bigs. He played for one year with the Giants. Then he got homesick and he went home. The vice president of the Giants said no to me. There won't be a Japanese player in the big leagues. And I said, that's funny because that's what all the owners said about black people during World War II. And I thought he was going to drop me, right? I was a skinny 26-year-old and he went, you know, he was a middle-aged, he had a beard, fucking 40-something, fucking entitled white guy, you know, uh, executive of a baseball team. So they're wrong. They were wrong then. They're wrong now. And everything is going to be so different. Not just every day by day this week, which it is. You're going to see more executive orders signed. You're going to see more legislation going to get through. A woman was made head of the DNI tonight. A woman was made head of the DNI tonight. What does that tell you? It tells you that the tide of history can't be stopped. It can't be stemmed. It can't be staunched. And not violence can't stop it. Not groups of ugly white millionaires can stop it. Nothing can stop it.
it can be diverted, it can be crushed, it can be squashed, it can be made violence on, but it can't be stopped. When you see a 22-year-old black woman from Los Angeles wearing a red headband get up in front of those people, now you know why they attacked the Capitol building, because that's what they're afraid of. In their heart, the eight years of having Obama president, the threat of having Kamala be the vice president, that's what made them do this. Yeah, yeah, they were incited, they were fomented, they're given bad information, disinformation floods the system. How is it that people who aren't these people are able to discern between a fact and a non-fact? It's, it's an active choice to make yourself ignorant. I can forgive not having an education because education comes with money now. It's not doled out the way it used to be. It's not equal at all. But ignorance and stupidity, like I've often said, um, I disagree with you over economic policy. That's politics. Um, I hate people because they're queer. That just makes you an awful fucking person. <laughs> so try not to be an awful fucking person. I know you're not. You guys are beautiful. I have to get out of here because I have to go do a thing. But I'm leaving with Mary J. Blige. And I will say this. Jennifer and I went to several Kamala things. And we had the chance to meet her and take pictures with her. And Jennifer got to talk to her and whatnot. In person, she's delightful. She's lovable, intelligent. And when we went to her presidential rally... They had a DJ and they played Ohio Players, Earth, Wind & Fire. I mean, it was hell yeah. And that's a president I can get behind. I leave you with this. Mary J. Blige is Kamala Harris's walk on music. It's all of our walk on music. You have been the smartest crowd in the world. I have been the smartest man in the world. May every page that you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool papa bell. And may every T-bone that you serve be a Kansas City monarch. I wish you nothing but love. VIP starts in a minute.